Good morning. Hi. <clears throat> Shelly had surgery on her shoulder and as a result she can't clap. I noticed that this morning as we were clapping and she couldn't because she had uh, pretty serious shoulder surgery and I've tried to keep this a secret, but I am rhythm challenged. That's the truth. I don't clap very well on my own. And so I tend to synchronize with Shelly, and she was unable to clap this morning. So I found that I synchronize now with the vocalists up here. And I just wanted to pass that along as kind of a public service announcement. If, if you find that you are rhythm challenged like I am and you can't seem to keep the beat on your own, it helps to ping off of those up here that know how to do that sort of thing without any assistance. I do have music in my heart though, and I do have a rhythm of my own. Um, back in the 60s, I was so grateful when attitude dancing came along. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Basically, that's, you know, you just kind of do your own thing. <laughs> and every once in a while, you happen to be in step with the, with the tempo. But uh, nobody laughs at you because it's attitude dancing. So <clears throat> that's where I'm at. And uh, that's what's going on inside. Sometimes it doesn't look all that cool from the outside, but it is really wonderful inside. So the reason I mention that because um, I was a flower child from the 60s. I don't know that I would have called myself that back then, but I thought that might be the quickest way to get you to where I want to take you this morning. I was a flower child, but I was a wild flower, a really wild flower. And when I came to Christ, I got together with other people like me. Uh, we were called Jesus people back then, and it was a Jesus people kind of movement. And a bunch of us met in the park, and it was called Church in the Park. Isn't that cool? Kind of hip, kind of neato, you know? It, it, yeah, I admit, at the time, we weren't into the whole organized religion thing. We thought, you know, we thought Jesus was one of us, and he is. But he's one of you, too, all you organized religion people. Um, we met in the park, and on a Sunday afternoon after worship, a bunch of us would hang out in the cool of the afternoon in the shade of a tree, and we would read the Bible together. And those were wonderful times. I think upon them so fondly. It didn't hurt that there was a girl there that I liked, but we did all that, and it, God did great things through that reading of the Bible. And one, I remember one of the very first occasions I was introduced to the Bible in a way that I didn't know it very well. And we read in the book of Proverbs. And I remember reading this. This is from chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Now just imagine you're roughly my age, 1920. Um, and, I mean, not my age now, my age then. 
hearing it for the first time. And you're this new, excited, just like I am excited today, a Christian. Happy is the one who finds wisdom. Who gets understanding. For the gain from wisdom is better than the gain from silver. And her profit, wisdom's profit, is better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. Long life is in wisdom's right hand. In wisdom's left hand are riches and honor. Wisdom's ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths, all her paths are peace. She, wisdom, is a tree of life, a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast become a tree of life hugger. Those who hold her fast are called blessed, called happy. I got to tell you, that just, that got me. That captured me. Do you know what I thought when I read that? I want wisdom. I want to get wisdom. I want what's better, more precious, more valuable than silver, gold, or precious jewels. I want wisdom that in one hand has long life and in other has riches and honor. I want understanding. I want truth. I want knowledge. I want wisdom. And you know what? I, at the time, was a complete idiot. But that began then. And I, I will be tr on a level with you. My entire life has been chasing wisdom, pursuing wisdom, seeking wisdom. I still want wisdom. And wisdom is very much a noble and worthy pursuit for every person who knows the Lord God, the Creator, the Redeemer who has sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who, as Jared prayed, removes every obstacle that we might know a true fellowship with the one true God. Because he's removed that obstacle through what he's done for us sacrificially in Jesus Christ. Wisdom is not a special dispensation or something that is an add-on. When we are, as we say, saved, when we enter into that relationship and we're assured this wonderful inheritance and all of the blessings and we're a part of the fold and the family of God and these things are sure and a certainty for our life, we should not then just lay down, go to sleep, 
and call it a day. In fact, we should be more in the pursuit of wisdom because wisdom is right in line with growing in faith, growing in knowledge, growing in understanding, growing in the Lord. And I just, I just want to say that so that you, if you have not made wisdom your pursuit, yeah, I know, you think that when you're, say, 30 or 40, like I am, that you would be pretty wise. But you will never be wise enough. It will be a lifelong pursuit. And you'll never know how wise you may become because every time and every moment you think you're wise, that's when you're playing the fool. Because wisdom is not like yesterday's victory and the rest of your life can just, you know, glow in the awards of yesterday's accomplishments. It is won every day because the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's the climax, that's the crescendo of the introduction to the book of the collection of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord. And we saw that when David was in the cave and the distressed of chapter 22, verse 2, the distressed, the indebted, and the disappointed, and the, all the dis people came to David. They sought him out. He was in the cave. And we went to Psalm 34, which is set at that time in the cave. And verses 11 through 14 begin. He says, gather around, my boys. I want to teach you the fear of the Lord. Read it again. It's about wisdom. It's about the nature of wisdom. And that the reason wisdom always is integral to the fear of the Lord is because it's when we have the Lord in our lives, He who created it all, He who manifests His wisdom, His strategies, His rhythms in creation, in the beauty of creation, even as we read this morning. And not only is it seen and manifest in his creation, but it's manifest in what he reveals in his teaching and his knowledge. It's when we have that Lord in our lives and we are always aware that he is the Lord, that we have the humility, the receptivity, the hunger to grow and desire, the willingness to, to be reproved, to, in effect, we have, as it were, within us through the, our love for the Lord, the catalyst for wisdom. The catalyst for wisdom. Well, in chapter 25, and I know you've all read it now because it's 44 verses, so I can't read the whole chapter to you, although I would love to read the whole chapter to you. But I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it this morning. 
but this entire chapter, we come to it with a history of Saul and David. In fact, when we read about the life of Saul before David even comes on the scene, Saul is a fool. Saul is a fool. He's anointed by God. He's given all of this opportunity. He's armed with all this possibility. And he becomes self-absorbed and full of himself. Saul is all about Saul. All about Saul's kingdom. All about Saul's rule. And we see his folly and his foolishness. Then David is anointed. He comes on the scene. And it's all about the Lord. It's not about David. If he's to reign, it's about the people that he's to rule after God's own wonderful nature and form of rule. He's not self-possessed. He's not full of himself. And in the last chapter, when Saul and David come together, and David has the opportunity to exact revenge on Saul, David doesn't react. He doesn't act out of his own kind of primal animal desires. He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about much bigger concerns and issues. He isn't swayed by the, so to speak, peer influence of his own guys who want him to take advantage of Saul and kill him. And when David follows him out of the cave and confronts him, man, David is more heavenly minded than earthly minded. He speaks of the Lord. He speaks of grand things, things of reconciliation and goodness. He's seeking good, not selfishness. It's a beautiful thing. It inspires us to want to be like David. It inspires us to want to be wise like David. And then we come to chapter 25. Chapter 25 is all about the wise love reproof. You've ever heard that expression? I remember reading that back in the old day. We didn't even have as many good translations as we have now. Back then we had the King James and the New American Standard Bible, and that was it. And so you had all these word, weird words like reproof. What is reproof? Well, I'm going to tell you, reproof, reproof is a rebuke. It's like, hey, John, you've got your eyes on yourself. Cool it. And if I'm wise, I go, oh, whew, thank you. Thank you for telling me what I needed to know. How is it a person can receive a rebuke or reproof or correction? How is it that a person can be told, hey, you're not doing so good or you've done wrong or your attitude is bad? How? You can't if you've got your eyes on yourself, if it's all about protecting your pride, your self-image. But if you're willing to learn, if you're willing to be taught, I mean, if nothing else, even if the person's maybe 50% wrong, you still have learned that that person thinks you're wrong and that's helpful. Right? 
There's all kinds of things to be learned in this world. Never stop learning. That's all for free. You should come find me when I'm in a rest home, sitting in a wheelchair and drooling, and give me a lollipop for that. Proverbs 4, 5 says, get wisdom. That's short and sweet, isn't it? Get wisdom. And, and David's life encourages us. But when we get to chapter 25, there are three main characters. There's Nabal, there's David, and there's Abigail. And I got to tell you, um, I know I don't like Nabal. And here's the surprising thing. I'm not sure I like David either. And I just want to tell you, I am a big fan of Abigail. Nabal, Nabal represents folly. In fact, that's what his name means. Can you imagine? Hey, Nabal. I mean, the word Nabal, when you say Nabal, you're saying Hebrew. That's what, pretty much what the Hebrew sounds like. Nabal is the Hebrew for fool. It means senseless one. Now, I know we talk about common sense, good sense, but what is sense? You have the five senses. Isn't sense having to do with what is going on around you, an awareness of others, but someone who's senseless, that person is self-absorbed, full of himself or herself. It's kind of like everything else, get in line and serve me because the whole world is about me. And that person is a fool. That person is senseless. You can't get through to them. You try to help them understand what other people are going through. You try to help that person consider what, what hap happened to the person around them. And uh, no, it's all about me. If you've never met someone like that, you need to get out more. Because I want you to know that Nabal teaches us a very important lesson. And I don't, I'm going to warn you, I'm going to warn you, this may come as a shock to you. There are fools in the world. There are fools in the world. And here's the real zinger. You and I play the fool. You and I play the fool. We become self-absorbed. We become selfish. We become full of ourselves. And that's the essence of folly. Why does it say in the psalm, Proverbs, the fool says in his heart there is no God. Well, that's because the fool doesn't believe in anything bigger than or outside of himself or herself. The shocking thing here in chapter 25 is that David plays the fool. He also plays the wise man. And that's what we're supposed to learn here from chapter 25. David plays the fool. 
he makes some mistakes. He gets kind of full of himself. And then he starts to act like a fool. He's insulted by a fool. He's mistreated by a fool. And somehow David got it in his mind that we live in a world in which there should always be equity and fairness. Well, we would like that kind of a world. We would like a just world. We would like a good world. We would like a world that plays by the rules. But that is not the world we actually live in. And David thought because Nabal was rich, you know, he had a bunch of sheep, he had a bunch of goats, he had a bunch of cattle, he had money, he was a baron in the area. David, when he and his men, and they're on the move, right? And Nabal's sheep and, and Nabal's shepherds take up with David because, I mean, they're armed, they're a militia. And when you move with them and if they say, sure, come along, be our guests. That's protection you want, you know? That's protection you want. Some of us, we live such comfortable lives. We just, we take so much for granted. We don't even know what it's like to be vulnerable. That's why I think all young people should learn to go backpacking and get out there and expose yourself to the real wilds and wilderness where you can learn to live a little bit with less and become energized by God's beauty as creation, develop some skills. <laughs> I'll take you. Maybe your parents will trust me with your care. I'll take you backpacking. We'll go live off the land. We'll pull a survivor. But these shepherds and all this sheep, in other words, Nabal, when it comes shearing time to have the sheep sheared in Carmel, he's got sheep to shear and shepherds to shepherd the sheep because they've been around David and his men and they've been protected for months. So David, he thinks, you know what, Nabal, he's got all these sheep, he's got all this wealth. Surely he's a smart guy. And uh, we've had this neighborhood watch thing going and we've protected all of his stuff. So he sends some of his men to where Nabal is. And he says, look, we're here in Carmel. It's sheep shearing time. It's festival time. Everybody's enjoying, you know, the festivities of sheep shearing and harvest. Can we, can we have a part in that? Will you, will you let my men enjoy some of the feast? Because we've been watching out for all of your stuff. Well, that was David's first mistake. You know, he expected the world to be fair. He expected Nabal to be sensible. The fool to... A, be sensitive to others and understand his situation, and Nabal isn't. And so in verse 11, 10 and 11, he says, who's David? Who's David? And he insults David. He knows who David is. His wife Abigail knows who David is. Everybody knows, remember how many have gone to Saul and said, hey, David's in our neighborhood. You might want to come out and try and capture him. We'll help you. Everybody knows David. 
But he says, who's David? Why would he insult him like that? Well, he's an idiot. You can't expect a fool to be wise. It's all about attitude. It's all about ego. It's him against David. I'm bigger than David. Why should I listen to him? Why should I consider him? And he insults David. He says, you know, there are a lot of slaves who are on the run from their masters these days. So he likens David to a slave who's rebelled and run away from his master. So he's basically saying, I shouldn't listen to him. But David has come to him saying, my men are your servants. I am your son. And Nabal comes back to him and says, why should I give you my water, my food, my servants, the meat that I shared for my shearers. My, 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 my. Is that smart? No. No. And the word prudence is a good wisdom word. It means considering the consequences of your actions. Nabal is not considering the consequences of his actions. If he's smart enough to insult David and think he's a runaway slave, a rebel against Saul, then why isn't he smart enough to realize that a rebel with 400 men, actually 600 and 400 ready to come, isn't going to put on their swords and come in here and wipe him out? And that's exactly what David wants to do. By the way, and this is for free, you know, when you're driving along and you feel like you're in the safety of your car, and maybe there's a guy in a motorcycle with a big leather jacket on and, uh, you know, a skeleton with angel wings and long flowing hair and a knife in his belt. You should not insult that guy just because you're insulted that he cut you off or did something. I mean, we don't live in a fair world. This is wisdom. Why would we do something like that? Why do we do sometimes the things we do? Because we all play the fool. We get caught off guard. We feel like we've been wronged. And of course, we expect things to be equitable and fair. And someone has wronged us. Someone has insulted us, at least in our mind and heart. And so out of that justification and that self-righteousness, we feel we can take, we can take vengeance into our own hands. We can take justice and meet it out. And sometimes we meet it out in ways that are very costly and certainly not truly wise to the actual equity of the situation. I can't tell you how many times I've made mistakes on the road where I didn't see somebody and I pulled over and then I felt bad. But by that time, they're cursing me and making sign language and honking their horn. And you know, in my heart, I'm thinking, I wish I could tell that person I didn't mean to hurt them. Have you ever had that happen? Sure you have. It illustrates that when there's real wisdom, the Lord is in our hearts, even at times where we're caught off guard. The more we grow in wisdom, the more we ping off the Lord and we realize, Lord, you're Lord, you're wiser, you're smarter, 
I know your will, your ways. That's something we grow in. It's not just head knowledge. You get that knowledge in there, and then you actually believe it. So you do it, and that's called faith. And then when you do it the Lord's way and not your way, the way you were taught or maybe the way your parents would do it, but you do it the Lord's way, you really try it. You take a risk. It seems crazy to you that, you know, power and strength would not be as strong and powerful as love and forgiveness and mercy and goodness and kindness. But when you actually do those things and you see what it does, then you grow in your convictions. You grow strong in your belief and you become wiser and you do it more and more and more. And then people look at you and they say, wow, you're not thrown off by little things. You lead a very character-filled life of integrity and steadiness. You're called faithful. You're called good. You're called loving. You see what I mean? That's how it happens and goes on. And what we learn from here is that David loses sight of that. Even the wise, even the godly can play the fool. And so David wants vengeance. And the way I know this for sure is in verse 25 of chapter 25. Because Abigail says to David, Abigail says to David, and this is verse 25, don't let a fool turn you into a fool. Don't stop, don't stoop to compete with a fool. You you don't see that wording exactly, but that's exactly what she's saying. She says, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is his game. Well, he didn't exactly say that part, but that's better because that's true. Martin Luther King said, let no man pull you low enough to hate him. And that's what David is doing. He's playing the fool. And then Abigail comes along, and she's armed with wisdom. Literally, a sweet... Well, I don't want you to think this is in chapter 25. It's in my heart. She's, She's armed with a sweet reproof for David. One that's for his good, that encourages him, that highlights all the good things that he stood for and that he can become in the Lord. And she says that. And what we can learn from her is really beautiful because from her, we realize that she's willing to put greater purposes God's greater purposes for David, for her household, for everyone ahead of her own pride. Now just think about that for a moment. She comes very humbly when she, she's riding on a donkey and she gets off and she, she gets down and she, she presents herself to David as though he is the ruler, he is the king. So she removes her ego and her pride completely because it isn't all about her. How do you do that? You do that when what you're committed to is bigger than you are. When you care more about what you can accomplish than what somebody thinks about you, 
do you know I have a horrible fear of speaking in public? I really do. And it still comes back. But do you know why I, am, I seem so confident? Because I am more committed to what I want to share with you and tell you and that will help you than I am to what you think of me. I'm willing to be a fool for what I want the Lord to be able to tell you through his word. And I want to try and bring it to you in a way that you will receive it and it will encourage you. Another thing she does is she removes any obstacle at her own personal expense. Her husband refused these things, but she goes and gathers up all this stuff. That's not going to be an issue. And she brings it to David. She speaks grace-filled words, words of God to David. She appeals to higher ideals and greater good and she appeals to David to be committed to them as she is. She appeals to the Lord's good for the offended party. David is the offended. And she appeals to the Lord's good. And she helps David to realize that good. And she even appeals to his power to help accomplish it. She envisions the Lord's blessing and future good by taking a wise course of action. And she herself represents the redemption and the reconciliation and the goodness that she wants to win. And she's willing to do whatever it takes to see it get there. That's beautiful. We can do that if we can get out of the way. And that's the difference, simply put, between wisdom and folly. But you'll do it only if you really believe in the Lord. Because only the Lord can move you and me off of our, off of our perch, you know? Off of our own royal roost. Only He has that power because of what He's done for us, the great love He's shown to us, the forgiveness. The sacrificial. He's shown us the very power of what he wants to, us to demonstrate in our life. A sacrificial love that produces good in the, in the hearts of those who receive it, who are changed by it. I love uh, what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 5. See, this, this thing about wisdom, it's all over the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. So I, I want to tell you again, get wisdom. Don't wait. See, it's, it's only our pride that makes us want to put it off. Here's, here's something about wisdom in the New Testament. Paul says, let your reasonableness, that's wisdom, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Do I ever play the fool? All the time. But I, I, 
like David? I learn to love reproof. Sometimes Shelly has to hit me twice. But I'm trying to get to where she only has to get my attention once. You know, I'm just speaking figuratively. And, and that's the way we grow. We learn to love reproof. David, man, he was, he, I, he was really angry. He, the, the Hebrew brings out, I mean, he's pretty crude when he talks. He generalizes. He does all the wrong things. He rehearses the wrong, and then he exaggerates the wrong. And he, it's not just Nabal, it's the whole household, you know. He, he doesn't even think about there was that servant of Nabal who came to Abigail and told Abigail how good David and his men were. You know, not everybody was of the mind and attitude of Nabal, but in David's mind, man, he was ready to wipe them all out. I'm thinking, this is not the David I know, and that's what happens when folly gets a hold of you. I mean, it turns you into somebody that you don't even like. Because it's what? It's all about me, it's all about pride. And it's not reasonable, it's irritable, it's angry, it's ugly, it's destructive, it's selfish. And so, I love this, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Are you reasonable all the time? Probably not. I haven't been, I haven't been snooping. I'm not trolling. I just know human nature. And so does the Bible. The whole Bible works on the premise that we can't save ourselves. We need a Savior. And that's the heart and the beginning of wisdom. And when we get intentional about it, we can really grow with leaps and bounds. And then Paul says this, the Lord is at hand. Do you know what that means? It means the Lord is at hand. But what we think it sometimes means is, well, wow, you better be on your best behavior because the Lord could show up any moment, right? He's at hand. Well, there's another way because Paul is drawing on the psalmist who says the Lord is at hand for all those in need. In other words, he is present to help those in need. And really, when you look at the context, look at, what, look at the context. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Out of your fullness, out of the fullness of the Lord, just disregard that, out of the fullness of the Lord, you rejoice and show your reasonableness to everyone. And if you need it, he's at hand. He's present. Draw on him. Turn to him. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't let your fears get in the way of the Lord in your life. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all under... The peace of God. What is in wisdom's hand? What are in all of wisdom's ways? Peace. Well, I could go on and talk about wisdom all the time. I hope you'll get wisdom. Start today. And you do it by letting the Lord just be present in your life to shape and encourage your thinking, 
to direct your life, to call you back to sanity when somebody offends you or when you get crazy and think this world should be fair or whatever the challenge is. Will you stand with me? I'm going to close this in prayer. And you know I'm going to be up here along with elders, our wives, pastoral staff. If you'd like to pray with us, I'm sure the Lord has spoken to you in some way. You don't always have to pray with us for that to be true. But if you'd like to pray this morning for yourself or someone else, we invite you to come. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He's not far. He is present. And He can be your Lord and Savior, your wisdom, an entire new life today, right now, through prayer. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your wisdom. It's overwhelming to think of all you are and all you want for us and all you want to be to us. We love you, Lord. May we attend to the direction and guidance of your wise Holy Spirit this week in all of our ways. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, God bless you.